0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is Friday. So glad you're with us on the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool is prepared and we head into the weekend with good, bad, and crazy martinis. And Jim, we are once again sponsored today by Tommy John. Tommy John has the perfect gift for all the dads in your life. Deliver comfort to dad's door with 25% off site-wide at tommyjohn.com slash martini. More on them in just a moment. Uh, Jim, let's talk about our good martini, and boy, was it good. Uh, Let's talk about the expectations, first of all. Coming into today's uh, jobs report from the month of May, most experts expected a net job loss in the month of $8.33 million and the unemployment rate to rise to just below 20%. It finished April at 14.7%. That is not the news we got. Here's CNBC. Payrolls rose by two and a half million. The unemployment rate declined to 13.3%. This is a huge gain, uh, a huge upside beat on uh, for this jobs report. Improvements in the labor market reflected a limited resumption of economic activity, the BLS says, that had been curtailed in March and April due to the coronavirus pandemic and efforts to contain it. In May, employment rose sharply in leisure and hospitality, construction, education, and health services, and retail trade. By contrast, employment in government continued to decline sharply. So instead of going up to 19-point-something percent, down to 13.3, instead of losing over 8 million jobs, gaining 2.5 million, obviously President Trump pretty happy about that. He went to the Rose Garden and said this, among other things.
1: We also smashed expectations on the unemployment rate. The prediction was that the unemployment rate would rise to over 20%. And instead it dropped to around a little more than 13%, slight difference. And this time the greatest comeback in American history. Today is probably, if you think of it, the greatest comeback in American history, but it's not going to stop here. It's going to keep going.
0: So Jim, you heard from CNBC about uh, where all the jobs are flooding back in. Uh, Leisure to some extent, uh, a lot of folks in the the medical world, particularly folks who deal with what was considered non-essential services going back to work. So uh, it's starting to make sense, but wow, over a 10 million job difference from expectations.
1: It was one of those things where this came out around 8.30 this morning and everybody's, a lot of people's responses was, holy smokes, we totally didn't see this coming. And then the more you thought about it, you're like, okay, maybe we should have seen this coming. Look, we don't, there's no getting around the fact that first of all, the unemployment rate is still very high. It is still very ha- ahead of what it was at the uh, worst points of the previous great recession. So nobody should, you know, uh, completely glide over that. But look, you look at when Amer- life in America came to a screeching halt because of the coronavirus. S- generally around mid-March, certainly by the second half, you know, close, approaching the end of, of March, the American economy had ground to a halt. Americans are being told to stay at home. Uh, you can only buy food at the grocery store. You're supposed to minimize those trips. You can only buy, get your pharmacy, you know, drugs at the pharmacy. Um, every, almost every non-essential business in the country was shut down. And obviously that's the sort of thing that causes unemployment to skyrocket like it has never had before, not even, you know, after the 1929 crash. But it was, you know, and, and then I, you look back and look, because there wasn't a uniform, every state said, okay, this day... Everything's allowed to reopen. In most places, it has been a gradual process. It's probably the right choice. Uh, we can quibble with whether it should be a little faster in some areas, a little slower in others. But generally, you know, March, by, by the end of March, the country was shut down. It was shut down for most of April. But then at the end of April, beginning of May, things started to open up a bit. And by the end of May, good chunk of the country had at least lifted the most strict restrictions that had been in place. And in some parts of the country, other than large gatherings and the lack of, you know, uh, concerts or, or hotels or, or flights or stuff like that, other than, you know, some sectors were much closer to normal and others weren't. And then you look specifically in the numbers. One of the big bursts came in an increase in medical employment. And all of a sudden you can see this, at least for me, this light bulb went off over my head, this sense of, oh, okay. Earlier today, I took my son to the allergist. Uh, the allergist's office was obviously restricting what it was doing because of the coronavirus during those months. Uh, most states put in rules saying that non-life-threatening elective procedures, and of course, you know as we've discussed in the past, some of these are like hip replacements, some of these were kind of important stuff, they, they were you know, suspended. They were temporarily paused, and in most states, that is now back in place, which means basically every dentist office in the country is now open again. Um, your, ear, nose and throat guys, you know, anybody who's not doing emergency medicine kind of had to either pause or greatly restrict their use. They're all back open again. Now that's going to, it means all the receptionists come back, all the nurses come back, um, all the specialists, all the equipment shipping guys, all, all kinds of parts of the economy come back alive again. And so maybe we shouldn't be totally shocked by this. Now still got a ways to go, but you know what? I mean, anytime you can get the single biggest, you know, job creation in a single month, you know, that's a pretty darn good martini there, Greg
0: absolutely is. And though the Dow Jones love this, you could see it as they were talking on CNBC and the line just started going all the way up. And it's actually north of 27,000 now, Jim. So not back to where we were, but uh, remember we got below 20,000 there for a little bit. So it's Come back nicely. Let's hope it keeps going. And you think of the places that are still the most shut down. Uh, it's largely big urban areas. So once those ease, you would hope to see a lot of these same jobs that have opened back up in, in some of the places uh, besides the big urban areas will come back as well. So hopefully June will have, I don't know about similar numbers, but good numbers as well. Agreed, Greg. And again, now here's
1: the thing. Some people lost their good jobs and are now making you know ends meet by working for Amazon or maybe they took a grocery store gig or something like that. You know, we're, we're still ways away, but the other intriguing kind of, you know, uh, response to this, Greg, and look, you and I enjoy knocking around people in government as much as anybody else, but um, is it possible all of our economic relief efforts worked?
0: Ah, huh. well, paycheck protection <laughs> action? We're, we're just not used to things working in government now, are we? <laughs> There certainly is an argument for that. And I'm sure a lot of folks will will be taking credit for that. So excellent news heading into the weekend. And Jim, we've also got some uh, good news. If you're looking for a Father's Day gift, uh, because dad doesn't necessarily want another tie or something else that he is probably just going to stuff in the closet somewhere. He wants something he can actually wear. It's going to be really comfortable. Father's Day can be stressful trying to find that perfect gift for dad. Thankfully, Tommy John, the revolutionary underwear and clothing brand, knows that comfort is for everyone. Yes, even your dad. So give him the softest, most breathable base layer he's ever worn. Their new and improved men's underwear is now twice as durable as his current pair and infinitely more luxurious, guaranteed. Plus, Tommy John is offering their best Father's Day deal ever with 25% off site-wide, including easy-to-gift sets that you can order straight from your phone directly to your dad's door. And Jim, since the last time we did this ad, I've gotten my free samples of Tommy John it's so comfortable, uh, you know, the, the sleep pants, I don't know if was, those are the lounge pants, but uh, very comfortable, the t-shirts, everything. Uh, Dad's gonna love it if you go down those route. Tommy John is the way to go if you want to get your dad something super comfortable to wear this Father's Day.
1: Yes, you can treat dad to a few pairs of Tommy John underwear in the softest, most breathable fabrics that he has ever seen. All of Tommy John's layers are built for next level comfort, whether you're on the hunt for lounge pants, lazy day joggers, or the softest Zoom ready tees and polos that you or your dad has ever worn, Tommy John has you covered. Remember to get your order in before June 17th to ensure that your gift will arrive before Father's Day. And remember that Tommy John is so confident in their underwear that if you don't love your first pair, you can get a full refund with their quote, best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee.
0: Tommy John, no adjustment needed. Tommy John has the perfect gift for all the dads in your life. You can deliver it to his door with 25% off site-wide at tommyjohn.com slash martini. That's tommyjohn.com slash martini for 25% off site-wide. See that site, tommyjohn.com slash martini for details. All right, Jim, let's move on to our bad martini. This definitely got a huge twinge of crazy to it too. In fact, It was part of our crazy martini doubleheader yesterday, but let's, move over to the New York Times because, of course, they did the unthinkable thing of publishing an op-ed written by someone who's not a liberal. Uh, That would be Tom Cotton, who was defending the idea of uh, moving troops into urban areas to quell uh, protests that were turning into riots. And uh, that obviously led to a huge blowback inside the New York Times newsroom and the op-ed part of the newsroom as well. So the New York Times puts out a short statement last night that says, quote, we've examined the piece and the process leading up to its publication. This review made clear that a rushed editorial process led to the publication of an op ed that did not meet our standards. As a result, we're planning to examine both short term and long term changes to include expanding our fact checking operation and reducing the number of op eds we publish. There are other folks tweeting out last night that some of the higher-ups never even read it, which I find impossible to believe. And Jim, there's a, there's a virtual walkout today of dozens of New York Times people uh, protesting their uh, decision to run that op-ed. So, you know, with today's job numbers, and there's still a lot of people who need jobs, if you're just walking off the job for a little virtue signaling, there's probably some folks out there who'd, be love, who'd love to have those jobs. You know, Greg, if it's a virtual walkout and everybody's working from home,
1: <laughs> How can they tell? Is it just you don't respond to the 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 company slack or you don't respond to email for a little bit because you know right now Greg is thinking my goodness is Jim virtually walking out like half the time when we're trying to line up our <laughs> our time today? This is the easiest this is the easiest form of protest you're ever going to find. What were you, what, what was wrong with you? I sent you that email like 2 hours ago. Up, oh, I was virtually protesting. That's um you know, it's it's it takes virtual effort, it takes virtual commitment, but not actual effort or commitment. Um, but I love the line, "Fact checkers." If if Tom Cotton got something factually wrong in that op ed, well, then let's let's discuss that. I, I haven't heard anybody specifically say that. I, I'm kept waiting for you know what was in there. I had said yesterday I had a bit of a you know if if he generally if his argument was the president of the United States should have the authority to overrule governors and mayors and he should be able to send in the National Guard in circumstances where governors and mayors have said, we don't need them, then say so, right? But that certainly is implied. He certainly made enough comment. One of my readers pointed out, he made a reference to uh, sending in the troops for for the schools down in the South in Arkansas, which certainly was over the objections from local officials. So I guess you could say, okay, that is what he's saying, but I think he's got to say it because you, I, I want a rule that applies to this president and I want a rule that applies to all presidents. And, you know, if you're, whatever you're going to, you know, whatever authority you want this president to have, you'd better be comfortable with, pre, you know, presidents of the, op, of the opposing party to have. But anyway, you know, everyone's saying, oh, it should have been fact-checked. It was a fact. Well, what was the, what were the facts that were incorrect? What it is, is you just really disagree with the sentiment. And that's fine. You're allowed to do that. And if you want to say the New York Times shouldn't have published, okay. They're not forced to run anything. Somebody made a very good point, which is that people complain you don't see, you don't see liberal messages here on National Review. Okay, yeah, we're a conservative magazine. You'll see often quite a bit of disagreement within the ranks and different perspectives. But you know, we, is, we are explicitly we are a conservative newspaper or conservative uh, news organization, magazine, website, et cetera. If the New York Times wants to say we are liberal and we are not impre- interested in representing the viewpoints of conservatives or Republicans, that's fine. But be open about it. Just come out and say it. I haven't seen any of this. They keep focusing on fact-checking, fact-checking. There's nothing factually wrong in it. Um, Right before we started taping, Greg, apparently A.G. Sulzberger, the publisher of the New York Times, has told the staff the Cotton op-ed was, quote, contemptuous in its tone, and it should not have been published. In the future, fact-checkers will be added to the op-ed staff, and fewer op-eds will be published. Um, Greg, are they going to subject Paul Krugman to the same standards? (laughs)
0: <laughs> They'll because Malcolm just said today
1: on Twitter that the, the he thinks the Trump folks had gotten to the Bureau of Labor's statistics in today's jobs numbers. <laughs> and he later apologized. He realized that he was now spreading conspiracy theories. But I mean, we're going to do this for Jamel Bowie, okay? We're going to do this for Maureen Dowd, okie dokie. As long as we're you know, everybody's got the same fact-checking standards, fine. That's you know, go. You want to go ahead and you want to do it, fine. But I think what's also interesting and kind of the 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 aspect I'm finding most baffling. Greg, it will probably shock you and my listeners to learn that in my wiser day, in my younger days, I thought I was wiser than I actually was. And it would not surprise you that in my you know, early journalistic institutions, uh, you know, old wire service called State's News Service, a couple of dot-coms, policy.com, intellectualcapital.com, uh, interning at the Dallas Morning News, Washington Bureau, Congressional Quarterly, uh, it was it will shock you. But my bosses told me to shut up a lot. <laughs> My bosses were not particularly interested in how I thought they were doing their jobs. My bosses did not particularly care what I thought of what they were publishing. They wanted me to go back, go go, go fix, go put toner back in the photocopier, uh, go get coffee, go, go, do, go do the job you're supposed to do. You are the intern or you are the low level reporter. Your job is not to run the organization. We're gonna run the organization the way we want. And you, if you don't like it, there's the door, you can leave. If you do wanna stay, Then shut up, kid. Just do what your job and you know. know, I'm gonna make the mistake of invoking Bill Belichick. Do your job and focus on that. Someday you'll be running this place if you want, and then you can make the decisions the way you want. This mentality has almost entirely disappeared from American management over the past generation. I suspect it's millennials, but maybe we're up to generation Z. I don't know how I don't know how young the youngest staffers are at the New York Times, but they feel perfectly comfortable telling their bosses, you should not have run that. And I am so upset with your decision to run that. I can't do my job anymore. As late as the 1990s, early 2000s, bosses would be fine saying, okay, you're fired. Go find someplace else. When the staff of the Atlantic went to Jeffrey Goldberg and said, we feel threatened by the thought of Kevin Williamson writing here, and he must go. Jeffrey Goldberg had every right in the world to say, there's the door, you're fired. There's the, either you live with my decisions, or if you don't want, go find another place to write. I am the boss. I am in charge. I have the authority. I take responsibility for what's published. Your job as the lower level staffer is to do your job and leave these decisions to me. And if you don't like it, this is a voluntary contract situation. You can always be fired at will, and you can always quit at will. None of that entirely has disappeared. Not just from, uh, uh, you know, my suspicion is not just from, from large journalistic institutions, but probably in a lot of companies across the country. And I'm baffled by that because we've basically decided we no longer want to have authority figures. We no longer want to have anybody in charge. And I guess, Greg, the, the side effect of having nobody in charge is that nobody actually has to take responsibility. You know, Greg, I'm detecting a theme between our bad
0: martini and our crazy martini. Exactly. Well, you summed it up well. Uh, Barry Weiss has a good thread on, uh, she actually writes at the New York Times about how the, old, have... yes, <laughs> the old guard uh, is very different than, than the younger uh, people coming in. That The old guard assumed that they agreed because they were all liberals and progressives, but it's not that way. She says this whole campus mentality of, I don't have to listen to anything I disagree with has now invaded newsrooms and, and professional atmospheres all over the place, and it's not going away. Uh, I think it's a long thread, but, uh, she says, here's one way to think about what's at stake. The New York times motto is all the news that's fit to print. One group emphasizes the word all that's the older people and the other, the word fit. So, uh, good luck, New York times newsroom. All right, one more bit of good news, Andy, and that is the fantastic deals you can find at 4 slash martini, including their signature offer right now, a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X, and of course, free shipping on all orders over $97. You want to be prepared. You don't want to get caught unprepared. 20 times faster than normal so visit fourpatriots.com slash martini to get your patriot power generator 2000x with the free solar panel included plus get free shipping on orders over 97 dollars. save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number fourpatriots.com slash martini that's fourpatriots.com slash martini let's move on to our really crazy martini now jim and uh, if you're on social media a lot i'm sorry Uh, But if you are, you've probably seen celebrities and maybe even Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign spokesman tweeting out, defund the police, as if that's going to make things better. Although Eric Garcetti out in Los Angeles has agreed with that. He was planning a major increase in LAPD funding until all of this happened. And now he wants to cut 100 to $150 million from the budget. He was originally uh, looking for a fairly substantial increase out there. But Black Lives Matter is still not happy with that, although they can't give an actual uh, percentage that they would be happy with. But that's nothing compared to Minneapolis, where, of course, was uh, the epicenter of the whole George Floyd murder from the hands of uh, the Minneapolis police. So one of the council members is Jeremiah Ellison. Yes, he's the son of Keith Ellison, the former congressman and now the attorney general in Minnesota. And he says, we are going to dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. And when we're done, we're not simply going to glue it back together. He says we're going to dramatically rethink how we approach public safety and emergency response. It's really past due. So Council President Lisa Bender is supporting that call, tweeting out, yes, we are going to dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department and replace it, get this lingo, Jim, with a transformative new model of public safety. And earlier on Thursday, she noted how she has, quote, long supported moving money from MPD to community strategies, Jim. If you live in the Greater Minneapolis area and you care at all about your property value, should you call your realtor now or Monday?
1: <laughs> well, first of all, I feel like they made a documentary about this a couple of years ago. I think it was called "The Dark Knight Rises," <laughs> and the idea was that the citizens of Gotham had uh, had you know been fed up with the decisions of uh, of the Gotham City Police, or at least. Uh, this gentleman who was wearing a mask because he was practicing appropriate responses for an environment like ours, named name Bane, um, basically said he was going to liberate Gotham by, uh, you know, by, by removing the police. He literally put them into the sewers and uh, he blew up the bridges. He blew up the tunnels so that nobody could get out. And finally, he unleashed everyone from the, the, uh, uh, from the prisons. He was a strong believer in criminal justice reform, Greg. And um, you know, much like uh, much like now, there were no football games going on. Um, there was there was some call for you know need for infrastructure changes, but uh, but generally, he let Gotha. He, he kind of self appointed himself and his his henchmen as the new police force, and a new uh, a whole idea of of redo, you know, completely reforming the criminal justice system, putting um, <clears throat> Scarecrow in charge of the court system. Uh, you add it all up. I, I'm joking, but the general—I I think that you know Christopher Nolan, when he made that film, was trying to make an indication of this is where society goes when legitimate authority disappears. Was it Ed Beckley, the guy who played the police officer at the end, who said uh, uh, Matthew Modine, who said something like, "There's only one real group of police in this town," right? And the question was, who are going to be the enforcers of law? Who are going to check the abuses and you know and, and violent behavior and and potential threat to others' rights? There really is only the police, right? You can uh, rename the police. You can very much reform the police. You can very much argue that the police need significant changes, that you don't have equal justice under the law unless you have equal justice and equal treatment by those who are enforcing the law. But the idea is you're gonna get rid of the police or you're gonna abolish the police, Um, there are only two silver linings I can think of to a cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs proposal like this, Greg. And the first is, should we just take the win that we found Democrats willing to cut spending anywhere? (laughs) The second thing is, so if they get rid of the police, I mean, I guess technically we don't have to worry about all those regulations
0: anymore, now do we? Well, I know that they've... Discontinued their policy with the public schools and the University of Minnesota, meaning that the public schools and the university discontinued the policy with the police. So, Jim, God forbid, there's a uh, shooter or something else uh, the next time schools are open there. Um, I'm sure it's not going to be blamed on the fact that those institutions decided not to have resource officers or others on campus.
1: I was going to say, I mean, you know, we we could very easily, you know, this, this looks like a really good idea right about now. And now, of course, you know, when schools reopen. If schools reopen, I suppose there will be people who say, you know, oh my goodness, why were we? Why didn't we do something? Well, because you decided to get rid of the police on campus. You decided school resource officers were not necessary. Any of us with with uh, just you know a couple a couple functioning neurons would think far enough ahead and say, well, wait a second, wait a second, this could uh, this could have some serious ramifications down the road. Probably we need police, you know. But they, I, I guess this is you know the sort of thing that you know I guess sophomore year. You've been, you know, maybe you hit some marijuana or something, and uh, (laughs) you know, you like, dude, what if we didn't have police at all? You know, (laughs) uh, that's, you know, usually, usually, even, even, you know, even the stoners could say, well, wait a second, wait a second.
0: Well, this story's not done yet. More Lisa Bender here. She says, as the council moves forward towards transforming law enforcement in the city, she's called on the city's white community to stand up. Quote, if you are a comfortable white person asking to dismantle the police, I invite you to reflect. Are you willing to stick with it? Will you be calling in three months to ask about garage break-ins? Are you willing to dismantle white supremacy in all systems, including a new system? Jim, is having a garage white privilege, is that what's happening here?
1: I think the idea is that your garage is broken into, you, you just gotta let it pass. Just just let it go, like they like they sang in Frozen, Greg. Uh, you know, just accept that as part of being in a free society, and by that I mean like the stuff that's in your garage is now free for everyone else to take.
0: Like your cars, wow, that's, yeah. that's comforting. Jim, you mentioned uh, Dark Knight Rises as the example here. I was thinking of Die Hard 3, you remember after the, the big uh, subway accident, they then said there was a bomb in one of the schools, and so all the officers went off to uh, all the different schools because they wouldn't say which one at first. He just gave a cryptic clue, and so next thing you know, there's no cops down on Wall Street, and there's dump trucks loading gold bars out of the New York Federal Reserve because there's no police to be found anywhere. There you go. I, you know, again, this is why you
1: know police are needed. You can call them what you want. You can you can rename them. You can you know adjust the authorities they have, you can adjust the tactics, but, but in the end, it's all going to uh, add up the same way. It doesn't really change how things shake. It, you know, in the end, somebody has to enforce the law or else you have anarchy. And I, I, thought, I thought the accusation that we conservatives were you know crazy, so anti-government that we're anarchists or something. But, yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh, anyone with serious ideas, feel free to step up. Uh, <laughs> Jim, uh, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumpus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget to get those gifts for dad at Tommy John. It's coming up soon, just a couple weeks away. Tommy John has the perfect gift for all the dads, 25% off site-wide, tommyjohn.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a kind review and get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Do have a wonderful weekend and we'll see you Monday on the Three Martini Lunch.
1: Every day,